Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, March 20th, 2018. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 3, and we are at page 40, Paragraph 2. Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Esther F., the 12 Traditions, Lee H., and reading the text are Martha Z., Susan H., and Katie G. The reference numbers from Monday, March 19th, are, for the 7 a.m., 11,182. That's 11,182. And for the 10 a.m., 11,183. That's 11,183. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, guys. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther. I will now ask Lee H. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Lee H. from Tennessee, and here are the 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Number three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. 
Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Katie, for letting me do service this morning. Thank you, Lee. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our absence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 40, the second paragraph that begins with, let him tell you about it, and we'll be reading through three paragraphs, ending with mental and physical suffering, and we will be commenting on all three, and I will now ask Martha Z to begin reading. Good morning, Katie. Thank you for your loving service. This is Martha Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from outside of Philadelphia. Let him tell you about it. I was much impressed with what you fellows said about alcoholism, and I frankly did not believe it would be possible for me to drink again. I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink, but I was confident that it could not happen to me after what I'd learned. I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows, and that I'd been unusually usually successful in looking my other personal problems, and that I would therefore be successful where you men failed. I felt I had every right to be self-confident, that it would be only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. In this frame of mind, I went about my business, and for a time all was well. I had no trouble refusing drinks, and began to wonder if I had not been making too hard work of simple matter. One day I went to Washington to present some accounting evidence to a government bureau. I'd been out of town before during this particular dry spell, 
so there was nothing new about that. Physically, I felt fine. Neither did I have any pressing problems or worries. My business came off well. I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. I ordered a cocktail and my meal. Then I ordered another cocktail. After dinner, I decided to take a walk. When I returned to the hotel, it struck me a highball would be fine before going to bed. So I stepped into the bar and had one. I remember having several more that night and plenty next morning. I have a shadowy recollection of being in an airplane bound for New York and of finding a friendly taxi cab driver at the landing field instead of my wife. The driver escorted me about for several days. I know little of where I went or what I said and did. Then came the hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering. Good morning, my friends in recovery. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday. I I was Fred when I first started struggling with food when I was 15 years old. I I couldn't understand. I was I was a good student. You know, I was in music sports. Like I I I really thought that everything in my life was really perfect except for this food thing. And but I was really struggling with this food thing. And my mom had worked um, for a psychiatrist, so I started seeing a psychiatrist and, I, and so I was 17 maybe and I remember he said to me some he asked me about my relationship with my dad and I remember thinking what does this have to do with anything I was so clueless I had I had really not the perfect life that I thought I had um so that's that's but that's how I got started so anyway back to the first the first paragraph I read there are 11 eyes in this paragraph so, you know, he's he's filled with self-knowledge and self-reliance and self-confidence and you know, he's he's sure that he can do this. And he says he well, he says self-knowledge would fix it and then he rationalizes and he says, "Well, you know, I'm not as far advanced as you guys are. So, you know, I should be able to do this." And he's going to exercise his willpower and he's going to keep on guard. So, the next paragraph um it says, it was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. And, um, yeah, and then he's, okay, so that's that's the end of that paragraph. Okay. So um, it's, it shows us that it doesn't have to be bad things that set us off. So um, in, I guess at one point he said, he's, oh, Right before that, I, and it just jumped out at me when I was reading it. It says, I'd been out of town before during this particular dry spell. Okay, so it shows you he's, he's only, he is only dry. He is, has no recovery. But we remember from before that he couldn't even take step one. You know, I mean, they told him what, what they knew, and he was interested, but he couldn't admit that this was true for him. So anyway, so... Then it says, the thought came to mind. So here comes the mental obsession. And it was sober, but the lie came. And um, he was already with the first cocktail. He was in the physical allergy. So he had no choice after that. And um, 
So he has he has no defense against this mental obsession because he hadn't even taken the first step. So he is he's definitely having a huge problem. But I, I guess I just wanted to share that even though I was Fred, it took me 19 years before I was to get into recovery. So um, 19 years of struggling in the disease. So. Anyway, very grateful to be in recovery today and, and um, happy to be with you. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Martha. Okay, so if you just joined us in the last three minutes, we are on page 40. We read through three paragraphs, starting with let him tell you about it, ending with mental and physical suffering. Who would like to share on those three Bad paragraphs? Bad Katie Bad from Boston. Larry, Larry K. Larry K. Rita K. Barbara E. Barbara E. John L. John L. Leah S. Leah S. Lisa B. And Lisa B. Okay, let's stop there. Um, I have Matt M. Followed by Katie G. Larry K. Rita K. Barbara E. John L., Leah F., and Lisa B. Go ahead, Matt. Thank you, Katie, for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. with the Pulse Over Eater. Yeah, Fred is a really interesting character. I, li- I like his. I like this guy. He's, he he seems like an, he's an ordinary guy. He has a job. He has a family. He has, he has everything that you can possibly have, the American dream. Yeah, he's an alcoholic, and he doesn't realize it. But the first, the first paragraph we read, if you, I circled every time I started the, heard the word I in it, and it's just circled here, one, two, three, four, five, six, about seven or eight times in here. And it's all ego talking when you talk that I can handle this. I can do this on my own. I was not so far advanced as you fellows. I've usually successful. Again, it's all, all about him, 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 myself, and him. It's, it's all about him. And it's the wrong state of mind to be in. He needs his higher power, and he's God. And um, the second, uh, towards the end of that first paragraph, it said it was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. That was the calm before the storm. He, already, he was already starting to have the bizarre mental twist. He just didn't realize it yet. He went to the hotel, and as I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind, like suddenly the thought came to mind. It nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner, and that was all, nothing more. It's okay to drink, because I haven't had a problem since. You know, it's been a while since I haven't drunk, so it's okay to do it now with impunity. And that's not the case. <laughs> he wound up going through another debacle, another debauch, and uh, he wound up on a taxi cab uh, uh, in New York instead of his wife. You know, it's funny. You know, black, he blacked out. So that, that's definitely not normal. Finally, I think so. At least he sees the light. I believe he does after this episode. But, uh, yeah, it's just amazing what the mind can tell us when we convince ourselves, what we convince ourselves to do. We, we know, we, deep down, we know he's wrong. And I just had to say that without regard. Thank you, Matt. Katie G, your turn. Hi, TDS. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. Starting my timer. Yeah, I guess where I'm coming from this morning is thinking about all my ego in program, right? Like all the knowledge I had in program coming in and being like, look, you know what? Like, dude, first of all, I'm not an overeater. I'm not a compulsive overeater. Like, I'm an anorexic and bulimic. I'm not sure what your problem is. But what I do is much sexier, right? Like, vomiting and starving myself and growing peach fuzz on my body is a lot sexier. So, um, yeah, so I have a lot of self-confidence. And I'm thinking, you know what, you guys, you guys are sick. Like, I remember my first OA meeting and 
thinking, how pathetic are you? You can't eat ketchup because it has sugar? Like, I'm not going to not eat ketchup the rest of my life. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not giving that up. And then they start telling me, oh, you got to put your program first and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I've got a really important life. Now, P.S., like, my life is focused on food and getting thin and being the thinnest girl in the room to the point where I can't be in a social environment because I'm so um, sick on the laxatives I've been hopping myself up on that I have flatulence all the time, and it's kind of embarrassing. But, like, that's all beside the point, right? Like, I don't want to put all that down. And, you know, people call me and they're like, you know, I've got all these yellow light foods. And I'm like, well, I don't really understand a yellow light food like Either the food is kind of doing something for me or it's not. Like there's no middle of the road. And I've had people say to me like, don't you, don't you, aren't you sad? Like the rest of your life, you're never going to have whatever. And, you know, for me at the end of my life, if I've put down a food and I, I get to wherever I'm going and God's like, KDG, you could have had that food good, whatever, right? Because it's just food. I have neutrality today. I have a miracle. God has given me a miracle for this day to be a recovered woman. And so I, I, that's kind of what I'm thinking is all this diet mentality within the rooms of like, oh, well, if I just get on the right diet and then I listen to Vision for You and I do the Vision for You program, which there is no Vision for You program, right? We're just an OA meeting studying the big book. If I just go to enough meetings and listen to you on the line and share, then I'm going to be okay. And the funny thing is you may be. But if you are, you are not a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety that I am. Like, I am so blessed that I uh, have hit such a bottom that I was desperate, dying, and doomed that all I had to do was call someone and all I could say was help me, tell me what to do. And I know I keep saying this, but I can't fight this disease. And that is what I'm hearing over and over again is like, I cannot fight. And when we fight it, what happens? No matter what, we eat. We eat no matter what. And thank you, God, I have a solution today that I don't have to fight. And I hope you all join us. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Katie. Okay, Larry Kay, it's your turn, followed by Rita Kay. Good morning. Good morning. It's Larry Kay. <clears throat> Recovered today. Thanks for your service. You know, I want to focus in on, um, you know, there's three words that talks about uh, Fred is on guard. I don't know why that hits me this morning. He was being on guard. You know, when you're when you have an untreated condition, we are on guard. And what comes to mind to me when I think about being on guard is this hypervigilant state. You know, hypervigilance, where we have this enhanced state of of sensory sensitivity, right? Where we're um, and it's accompanied by <clears throat> this intensity of behaviors. So if we're hypervigilant, you know, we are trying to detect, and I remember feeling, as I'm sure Fred felt, you know, we're, we're hypervigilantly thinking about, am I hungry? You know, do I need a drink? You know, uh, what am I going to do to avoid that? It's, it's a constant state of anxiety. It brings about an increased state of anxiety, and, and it's exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting, and it's physically exhausting. And, you know, I, I think about people in OA sometimes coming into program. They are still on guard. If you have an untreated condition, it does not make you a bad person. There's nothing morally wrong with you if you have an untreated condition, if you are on guard, if you are hypervigilant. For example, if you get on this meeting, 
just to, you know, if I could stay out of the food for one more day, this is what we do in the beginning. We use the tools to support us while we get well, but it is not the treatment. And it will come, coming to this meeting, I've heard, you know, someone say it's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound or something to that effect. It's, it's not enough. We need a complete spiritual awakening. Today, what I can say, I don't think I'm the only one on the line. In fact, I'm sure that I'm not on guard. It doesn't mean that I'm cocky. I'm not afraid. I'm not fearful that the shoe's going to drop. And I didn't get to the state because I learned how to not feel like that. No, I worked the steps. And what happened was there was a change brought about where the where many changes, but one of the changes was that the obsession was lifted. So I don't have to be on guard anymore. Now, if you think, well, if you have that, if you're brought to that state of being, then why are you here? Well, somehow you're imbued with a desire to be of service. You're imbued with a desire to be a part of this thing. You know that you have to remain in fit spiritual condition. So it's not with fear, but you, I no longer, by the grace of God, I no longer have to be on guard. I no longer have to be hypervigilant. And for that, I'm grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. Okay, now we have Rita Kay, followed by Barbara E. Thank you so much. Uh, this is Rita Kay, recovered in Kansas. And thank you so much for your service. You know, I, I, uh, I, I love this story, of course. You know, um, when he talks about at the bottom of the page, I had no trouble refusing drinks and began to wonder if I had not been making too hard work of a simple matter. And, you know, abstinence goes fine for a while. He was abstinent. Abstinence alone goes fine for a while. I can remember, um, you know, years in a group, years ago, being being a part of a group where my mantra is abstinence. My mantra was abstinence is the most important thing in my life today without exception. And I said that all the time. I had it written up, you know, somewhere in my office, abstinence is the most important thing today in my life without exception. And, you know, abstinence only goes fine for a while. But we're talking about here on in these rooms, we're talking about a program of recovery that involves working the steps and that, that involves enlarging our spiritual life. So Fred, he heard, he, he got knowledge. They talked to him all about alcoholism. We talked about that, you know, uh, a, a few paragraphs ago. And and he he did fine. He said, I had no trouble refusing drinks for a while. He was abstinent, you know. And so, you know, I've gone through pretty long periods of time, no trouble refusing things. But as Larry said, being on guard constantly, being on guard and making sure this wasn't in the house and just kind of like living a life that was not – uh, that that was not a life being lived without the with the exception with the obsession being lifted. Let me get my words straight, you know. But what what I have learned to do is to take this whole thing. This is a program of recovery. And when I tried to live my life where it was abstinence only, it didn't work for me because I am the real the real compulsive overeater. And um, but then I passed. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Rita. Okay, now we have Barbara E. followed by John L. Good morning, my fellows. This is such a wonderful, wonderful chapter for me. Um, 
whether it was a perfect day, an awful day, a boring day, a busy day, a sad day, a happy day, a calm day, an anxious day, I ate no matter what. My family tells me I even ate when I was asleep. The man of 30, Jim, the uh, jaywalker, Fred, I identified them all with every single one of them. I was the man of 30, thinking I knew enough, I'd been abstinent long enough, I could go back out there and try and eat like a normie. Jim, you irritable, using poor judgment, going in, he's deluding himself by saying whiskey and milk. The deliberate binge, I've done that, planned that, like Eisenhower on D-Day. The jaywalker, eating for the thrill of it. Could I get away with it? Maybe the scale wouldn't show anything. Maybe it would. Fred, everything going well except for a case of nerves. All of them, in one way or another, self-confident that they were not as sick as these other people, that they could do it with self-knowledge. The one thing they all had in common, and I too, is a failure to enlarge their spiritual life. The promises that we have in the big book were all perverted for me when I first came in. I did not know a new freedom and happiness. I certainly regretted my past, and I wanted to slam the door shut on it. I was not serene. I did not know peace. No matter how far down the scale I went, I didn't care about what it could do to benefit you because I was all about me. My attitude and outlook never changed. I had to change. I had to have that spiritual revelation. My self-confidence, my ego had to be smashed in order to bring me back up again from the depth of compulsive overeating. You know this, I've gained weight nine times before, over 100 pounds, and lost them. I don't have another diet in me. This is it. I've been in for two decades, two, not 20, two decades, and I am so grateful for this program to show me that the tools are important, but the steps are vital. The tools keep me abstinent. The steps keep me from committing homicide. And I find it hardest with my family that I live with. But every day I get up, I say my set-aside prayer that I've written by myself. And I bless you and wish you a wonderful Tuesday. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. John L., it's your turn, followed by Leah S. Good morning. I'm John L. I'm a compulsive overeater out in Arizona. And this this passage or this reading today is uh, boy, what it's what it's really uh, all about. I am probably one of the biggest uh, slippers in in OA, where I've gone up, down, up, down. And you know, even in the days of OA, there's before OA where I didn't know what I was doing. But when I come into OA. You know, some of the things I would do uh, would uh, 
one of the things I was thinking of is I, I, you know, get on an abstinent food plan, go out, lose a lot of weight, uh, then go see a doctor. This is all control-oriented behavior and get a physical. And boy, uh, luckily I have a body that responds to all this and my cholesterol, everything was just great and wonderful. And the doctor, so, oh, John, you're great. Oh, everybody, oh, your weight's down, this, that. Oh, wow. Then I leave the doctor's office and guess where I head straight to. And off I go on another binge eating episode that who knows how long it'll last. And, you know, I just keep repeating that pattern over and over. And the thing that I got here and what I have to be careful about a lot of times is when things are good in my life, a lot of things and a lot of times things happen where we are um, something bad happened and I'll eat. And that, that certainly will happen. But when things are really good and, and the goose is hanging high, as, as Bill W. says, I have to watch out for those times too. But I don't have power over these trigger foods and their very strong magnetic pull in my brain that wants me to eat those. And if I quit doing my meetings, if I quit my prayer work, if I take God out of the equation, the, the equation I, I just am very vulnerable. And I'll be walking down the street, minding my own business, and into a cookie store I go. And this is really, really strong magnetic force. And if you read the very last page or very last sentence of this um, uh, chapter, it says that our defense has to come from God, a higher power. It's spiritual warfare. I got to have power to say no to that first bite. If that were me walking into that uh, dining room, it would have been, oh, it's okay to have one bite of chocolate cake. No, it's not. And I, I can remember and I can feel it. It scares me to think of how that could be me where when, those thoughts, when those thoughts come into my head. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much, John. Okay, Leah S., you're up, followed by Lisa B. Thank you so much. My name is Leah S., and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Brooklyn. Okay. Um, I, I read in the doctor's opinion that I have a twisted mind. I, I conceded to myself. I have a twisted mind. My mind tells me certain things, and I do... I do certain things that that just don't coincide with what I really, really want to do because deep, deep down I want to do this or I want to do that. And that's what the, my disease tells me. And um, I, I, I just want to share with everyone that I went back to school and um, – and at one point, uh, I, I just did. I went over to my professor and I said, "I can't get this algebra. I'm too embarrassed in class. You know, all these young girls. You know, I, I don't know it." And my professor answered to me, 
Well, for crying out loud, Leah, you came back to school because you know everything? And I said, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, of course. I don't know my algebra, and that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm, oh, my goodness, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to study this. And um, I also want to say that I have two copies of this big book that is really torn. (laughs) I'm about to buy another one. I have to continue reading this big book every single day because I am a compulsive overreader. I cannot rely on myself. I cannot do things on my own. I have to continue spreading this word. I have to continue my meetings, and I have to continue doing my side of the street in order to stay where I am in a sane and a positive mind. And thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Leah. Um, Okay, Lisa B., it's your turn, and then we'll open it up for more comments of other people. Well, good morning. My name is Lisa B. I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And thank you, Katie, for your service. Um, The line that I wanted to talk about is, it says, in this frame of mind, I went about my business. Wow, that's so scary for me to think about that. Walking around, abstinent only, untethered, unlinked, unaligned with my higher power. And I lived like that for so many years. I lived like that for decades. And You know, it just kept jumping out to me this morning when I was listening to the reading and listening to the share and we agnostics. It says we found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there. He can be found. I have to be finished with analysis paralysis. I can't tell you the number of people I am gifted and privileged to talk to every day that are struggling. Not that I'm happy that they're struggling. I'm not. I'm not because I hear myself in them, but I hear the bargaining and the negotiating of what we call yellow light foods, you know, questionable foods. And I said the other day to someone, why would you want to keep bargaining and negotiating when you're delaying the whole purpose of this program, which is to have a spiritual awakening and get recovered? doesn't mean cured, but get recovered. Have an incredible personality change and live a life that is sound and happy and joyous and free. But no, we want to keep holding on to those things, you know, in the last analysis, thinking, oh, maybe if I have a different relationship, maybe if I have a better sponsor, a sponsor that is nicer to me or gets me, or maybe I need a different meeting, or maybe this, maybe that. And it's in the last analysis. It is only there. He can be found, you know. So that's what kept jumping out of me. And then when it talks about in this frame of mind, I'm thinking, I've got this. I'm okay. You know, and the only way I was willing to put everything down was I saw that I'm hopeless, I'm doomed, and I'm dying. Like I hear people talk about the three Ds. And that's it. I'm done. I see who and what I am. It's not going to get any better. In fact, as I get older, it gets worse because it's a progressive illness. It is progressive. It does get worse. And it is... It is a constant, um, oh, it's a battle that could be there if I chose to have it there, but today I'm neutral, I'm recovered, I'm finished fighting by the grace of God, and I live actively in these steps every day because that doomed dying and 
horribleness is still there. Chronic alcoholism never goes away. Chronic compulsive overeating never goes away just because I'm abstinent and recovered. It's there. But I need to get the effect every day from these steps. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, if you've just joined us, we are on page 40, the second paragraph. Let him tell you about it. And we read through three paragraphs. Uh, ending with unbearable mental and physical suffering. Who would like to share on those paragraphs? Melissa C. Reva P. Reva P. Vasa O. B. B. Leah M. Okay. Um, okay, I have Melissa C. Reva P. Vasa O. Leah M. And I heard a man's voice. Pete? Was it Pete? Pete. Pete B. Yeah, Pete B. Pete B. Okay. Deb W. Um, Deb W. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Probably. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, so that we'll go with that. Melissa C. Reva P. Vasa O. Leah M. Pete B. And Deb W. Melissa C. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning, Katie. Are you able to hear me? Yes. Okay. Great. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, you know, what jumps out at me is this keeping on guard. Um, And, you know, the big problem with keeping on guard is um, the guard, you know, the armed guard at the door is the great enemy, is the biggest danger at all. It's me. So anything that I've tried to keep myself on guard from, um, that fails because I'm, I'm the problem. I lock the door, I, I shut the door, and I'm, I'm the one that's locked in. I'm the big danger. And so, um, you know, so clearly getting information about what it is I have, um, that's perhaps a little bit useful. I mean, I needed to know about the allergy, and I needed to know about the obsession of the mind. Um, but just knowing about it is not the spiritual solution. That's just telling me that I'm going to need a spiritual solution. And, um, you know, and so, yeah, like I will eat on the best day of all. I'll eat on the worst day of all. You know, there, there doesn't have to be any significant reason other than I'm a compulsive overeater and that's what I do. And, you know, and so, um, you know, the other thing that I was thinking about was um, there are things that we do need to keep on guard from. Like I do, um, and I'm told, I have to stay on guard, watch for selfishness, <laughs> watch for dishonesty. You know, those are the things that come creeping back in that I can use some willpower, that I can, you know, employ um the, the tools, the steps of the program so that I don't have to be taken under by those things. You know, and the other thing is um, I am a compulsive overeater. I have food allergies. And, you know, it's not keeping on guard. Like, I cannot be um, spontaneous with my eating. Does that mean that I'm on guard with my eating? Maybe a little bit, but it's not. I'm not fighting it. I accept it completely. I know that I know that I have to eat a certain way. I know I have to, for me, I do have to eat at a certain time. I can't eat 
you know, midnight, have dinner at, at crazy hours. I do need to eat breakfast by a certain time of day. You know, when I go away, yeah, I do have to pack my food. But it's not keeping on guard. I'm accepting completely I have this allergy and and I have to treat it. You know, I've gotta I've gotta stay one hundred percent abstinent, but it's not a fight anymore. You know, and so the other problem is that any time I've ever felt a little bit better, I used to think, oh, I'm making too much of this problem. And that's when it would come back in. I'm not making too much of this problem. What I have is fatal. It will kill me. Thank you. Put that on pass. Thank you, Melissa. Okay, Reva P., it's your turn, followed by Vasa O. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto. What strikes me most is the fact that he thinks he needs to keep on guard and exercise willpower for the drinking. So he's, Fred is thinking that drinking is the problem, as opposed to what I know now, that food was my solution. Um, when the real, this whole chapter is about the greater aspect of my disease, which is my thinking. He has a thinking problem. And in his frame of mind, he was doomed um, because of his thinking. Um, and it, I remember when I first came into program, you know, when I realized that it's my thinking that's the problem, I had um, the same job, the same people in my life before and after coming into program and starting to work the steps. And I was amazed how my boss seemed so much better and easier to get along with, how life seemed so much better when I had exactly the same circumstances. So for me, one of the biggest lies in my thinking is that if only the circumstances would be different, then I wouldn't need to pick up. Um, Then I wouldn't be so restless, irritable, and discontent. And that's a huge lie, and that's what I need the steps for, to get rid of all the blocks so I access um, this power. Um, And um, I just find it amazing. Once I um, uncover all the distorted, disturbed, insane thinking, um, then I can go wherever, and I don't need to keep on guard, and I don't need that kind of willpower with the substance because it's not the substance that's the main aspect. If I'm a real compulsive overeater, that's not the real problem. That's like the tip of the iceberg. Um, So yes, I have my allergic foods, but the greater aspect is um, addressing the thinking and I can only do that with the steps. Um, And then it's this power greater than myself um, that transforms everything. Um, And with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva. Okay, Vasa O, it's your turn, followed by Leah M. Thank you, Katie, for your service, and good morning, everyone. And I'm Vasa, grateful, grateful, recovered compulsive overeater calling from Florida. Before I came to Overeaters Anonymous and the 12 Steps, I had been slip and sliding for 25 years. Since we came in America, I discovered all these wonderful foods. And it was exhausting physically and emotionally trying to control the food. And uh, I really had no problem admitting I was powerless over the food that my life... Well, I was powerless over the food, but I could not understand the second part, that my, my life was unmanageable in other areas because I was 
very, very managing in my life in many, many areas, but I could not do it, do it with the food. And uh, I, I went to the Weight Watchers. I knew how to measure. I knew how to uh, count calories. I knew how to weigh the food. I knew what portions were. I could do it. I could do it. I did put the food down for a while. It worked, you know, until I decided now I lost the weight. Now I, I deserve to go off and to reward myself with whatever. And I could probably handle just one or two things. And I would go into the alcoholic foods, which I did not know the sugar was a drug. I didn't know that I had uh, the disease. I didn't know that followed with a mental obsession. I mean, I remember my mind would go there, but I, didn't, I thought that was normal. So what I did not know, I did not know. I thank God that I, for, to my higher power that I was led into Overeaters Anonymous, and I learned these things. And uh, nobody needed to diagnose me that I was compulsive overeater. I knew that deep, deep inside me, but I, I'm so grateful that, you know, reading the doctor's opinion and to me to put the food down, the portions, and, and to put the sugars down, was, it was a torture. How am I going to live the rest of my life without these foods? And my sponsor said, well, we just do this one day at a time, one meal at a time. I was going through the withdrawals. I mean, I, I wanted that stuff so bad. But thank God I did really stick with it because I heard if I didn't put the food down, I, you know, the alcoholic foods, I wouldn't have the clarity to work the rest of the steps. So no matter how painful it was, I had to put it down and, and throw myself <coughs> in the 12 steps. And that's the only thing that worked for me. Thank you, and I pass. Okay, thank you. And if you're not um, Leah M., please mute your phone. Sorry. Um, Okay, so Leah M., you're up, followed by Pete D. Thank you very much. Start my timer. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to mind that it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. I read that and I, I think, click, you know, that's the mind, click. It's, it's a peculiar mental twist. That up until that point, I may know who and what I am, but click, you know, because someone like me, a real compulsive overeater, has a mind which takes me back to that which is killing me over and over and over again. It's inevitable, it's unavoidable that I will be without defense against that first drink, without that, against that first bite. Because this statement that I read, that is an example of the mental obsession. That somehow, someday, I'm going to be able to enjoy that first bite. Even though I know intellectually those foods are killing me. But it's like, eh, it's not that bad. Eh, this time it won't hurt me. It's a hijacking. I have a mind that kept taking me back to that which was killing me. And that example ultimately comes down to a very simple proposition that, like it or not, 
my mind persuades myself that I can be normal. That's what it is. It's not that I'm emotionally deficient. I may very well be emotionally deficient. Some of us perhaps may be emotionally deficient. But, un- but ultimately, the common thread of all of us is that we say to ourselves, oh, we can do that right now, and there's no struggle. There's no resistance. There's no fight. I'm not mentally different. I'm not bodily different. I can do this now. And my experience no longer informs me. The, uh, the mental and physical suffering that I've had no longer informs me. This is the true powerlessness. I'm weak. <laughs> I'm weak. There's no fight. The fact that I've been unable to, let's say, eat ice cream without uh, – Getting this phenomenon of craving, uh, you know, and binging my brains out is irrelevant to the fact that right now I'm like th- I'm not like that anymore. I used to be like that, but I'm not like that anymore. That's the illusion, and that's the mental obsession, and that is the insanity that the big book is trying to drill in here. It's a belief in a reality that isn't true, living on the assumption of things that simply aren't true. You know, and I had lived my life on the assumption the, uh, that I could eat candy or ice cream without a problem. And as humorous as that may sound to someone who's not a real compulsive overeater, that's not humorous to someone like me. Because that means I'm willing to go for death rather than going for life. And, uh, you know, the book pounds into me that there is a solution wrapping up, and it's not going to be physical, and it's not going to be human, and it's not going to be material. It's in the world of the spirit. It's a relationship with power. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Pete B., you're up, followed by Deb W. Thank you, moderator. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. This is Pete B. I'm a compulsive overeater recovered today. By God's grace and mercy, I'm in Pennsylvania. And uh, I don't know. I think if you t- if you asked me to tell a story about me, I would use the I would use the uh, I several times. So I'm not sure if the I don't know if it's the the quantities of eyes that are in this story are an indication of anything about Fred, other than the fact that he's telling a story about himself. Uh, you know, so I I don't think I don't think the it wasn't. It's not an indication that he was a, that he was selfish. If it was ego, if it was anything, he's just a he's just a garden variety alcoholic. That's been exp- that that the the uh, what the disease of alcoholism has been explained to, and he hasn't come to the conclusion that he has it. He he may he he appreciates the information. I'm pretty sure that the alcoholics that spoke to him told them about what they knew about the physical aspect of this disease as well as the spiritual aspect of the disease and he said thank you for the information and i'm going to go about my merry way you know the the what what this fellowship is not in the business of doing is diagnosing you know because you can't we can't we can't diagnose anybody a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety that diagnosis has to come from oneself you could be 500 pounds, you could be 100 pounds. Only you know, only I, had, only I know that I am a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. That diagnosis has to be self-imposed, right? So I have to be faced by a self-imposed crisis that I could no longer postpone or evade and come to the conclusion that God is either everything or he is nothing. 
You know, I can, all of this knowledge, I can sit down with somebody and they can explain word for word the doctor's opinion, word for word Bill's story. I can relate to it. But unless I buy into it wholeheartedly, unless I concede to my innermost self that I am an alcoholic and the delusion that I am like other people has got to be smashed, I cannot make a beginning. You know, I, I'm not like other people. I do not handle food. I do not handle these substances like other people. I will never have a effective mental defense against the first drink. I will never be able to bring into consciousness with sufficient force the thought of the pain or suffering caused by alcohol, sufficient enough to not take the first fatal bite. It'll, I'll never have it. That defense must come from a power greater than myself. And I'm so grateful. Like, food became the convincer. Every bite I took was necessary to convince me. Nobody talked me into it. Nobody sold me on it. Time. Thank you so much, Pete. Okay, Deb W., it's your turn. Deb W., star one to unmute. Good morning. This is Deb W., recovered in Oklahoma. Um, I uh, This paragraph has so much in it, I mean, and um, it, it, it talks about the thoughts that precede um, the first drink or the first bite. And and I I noticed that sometimes these thoughts can flash through my mind just like in a matter of seconds. Um, And, uh, you know, I I listened listened to what he's saying, his sentences. And so um, this is what I gathered the order of my uh, thoughts out of recovery or after I got a little bit of knowledge. It said I, I listened, you know, to this rare, It's a, we listen, it's a rare opportunity to hear a message like this one, like the first 100. You don't hear this every day about our addiction. And I hear, I got the message, I get it, I get what you're saying. And, yeah, I did identify in, mm, yeah, I get it, I get what you're saying. But then I start uh, comparing the differences of me and you. You know, I doubt. Then I go to doubt and I I go to, uh, you know, ignoring. You know, uh, I go back out and do some more testing and and believing. And I I should be able to control this because now I know the problem. And then I fail again. And there I return. And then I hear bits and pieces clearer than what I could hear them before because of the desperation that followed after I went back out. And I realized I I cannot and I admit, and that's enough to recover in this program with these steps. And with that, I pass. Well, thank you. Um, We have one minute, so I'm going to take that one minute. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater. And like um, someone just said, you know, he really is just this garden variety. That's kind of how everyone comes to the realization. And yet I didn't realize that that's where I was in these rooms for six years, that I really wasn't um, admitting and believing to my innermost self that I was one of you. I was as much as I was, the words were coming out of my mouth. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I really didn't in my heart of hearts believe that I had this problem. 
until the day came, like he had, the day came when it was not a cloud in the sky and he picked up a drink. And that's what happened to me. I picked up this food that I hadn't eaten for five or six years. Um, I guess it was five years. And, you know, it was like this floodgate opened. And I remember that day like it was yesterday and it was over 30 years ago. And that lasted for almost a year, which felt like a decade. And, um, you know, the insanity that went on during that year is enough to convince me um, to this day that I'm one of you. And I'm so grateful for that um, reminder all the time and that I don't have to go back there. And with that, I'll pass. And now I want to thank everyone um, who helped with this meeting this morning. And we will. I will now call on Susan H. to read the uh, vision for you on page 164. But first, let me give you the share ID for today, which I got and promptly didn't write down. Um, It's 11,187. 11,187 is the share ID for March 20th. Okay, Susan H., will you please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, and thank you for your service. This is Susan H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Ohio. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.